Cause somebody gon' believe Always Cheers Another banger for these motherfucking bitches oh Getting paper Piling up them riches We ain't family in this here business If I'm in it I'm only in the winning I'm making bangers off these hating ass niggas right. Taking them figures, doubling up, making them bigger uh-huh. Spending it with those that believe, breaking they liver oh. Every night a celebration, others hating, they bitter Pop. Feels great to deliver, to whom relate and remember. remember Tired of them ups and downs like it's late in December uh-huh. The times have changed like the people around me have With growth, you don't know who's gonna be down with that Who knows, maybe I'm the one who changed my back Just the upgrade, still working off the same my path But no, no. excuses I don't need to save my ass Smoking in school the only time you had high class Now that was juvenile But my shits they bounce like that So at your funeral Said you had to go out like that My days are beautiful Smoking a half of the loud like that Now this my mural y'all Thanks for letting me shout like that Cheers Another banger for these motherfucking bitches Oh my Getting paper Piling up them riches Uh huh Uh, welcome aboard to the Counter Vortex podcast with your ranter, Bill Weinberg. And we're uh, joined in the uh, studio today with uh, three women from High Me Madre, uh, Emily, Pilar, and Kara. All right, well, uh, Dietrich, you want to say your full names and uh, what, you're, uh, what, what you're up to and what you're about? Emily Ramos. Yeah, um, my name is Emily Marie Ramos Rodriguez. Um, I am from the Lower East Side in Spanish Harlem. Um, I grew up in the projects of Lillianwald and East River, um, born and raised, uh, went to college up uh, in Central New York, Ithaca. Um, you went to Ithaca College? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, there I studied uh, writing, minored in Latino studies and sociology. I did consider a legal studies minor, um, but I would had to I would have had to stay there longer. Um, but I ended up going into legal services um, after I graduated college. Um, I found my way in the nonprofit world, and I think that's how I um, got involved in like the advocacy for marijuana legalization on this uh, on this level, um, advocating with the state for federal um, for legalization in the state, and then you know federal legalization. Um, but I like to say that um, I got involved in this work, or rather the marijuana prohibition um, 
entered my life before I was born because my father was arrested for selling marijuana when my mom was pregnant with me. Um, and so I didn't meet my father until um, I went upstate uh, while he was in prison. I was about three years old. And so I, like, this is Father's Day today. Like, I spent many Father's Day without my father. Um, and so as we're advocating for marijuana legalization, um, we have to remember that it's not just about, um, you know, making a lot of money in entrepreneurship. It's also about the community reinvestment and repairing the harm that's been done to families that have been affected by criminalization. Um, so that that's really why I'm here and what uh, Jaime Manda is about, um, just like uh, directing the economic and medical bus uh, benefits of the marijuana industry into our communities. Where was your dad held? Um, I'm not exactly sure. I know I visited him a few times mm -hmm. in a detention center right. in Brooklyn. Um, and then I oh, also... upstate. Yeah, and then I also visited him a few times upstate. Mm -hmm. Pilar? Hi. Yeah, good evening. My name is Pilar de Jesus. I'm also one of the co-founders, co-owners, uh, workers at Jaime Madre. I'm born and raised in East Harlem. I actually wear many hats. I am a advocacy coordinator with the Community Development Project at the Urban Justice Center. I'm a board member of East Harlem Preservation. I ran to be a local district leader in East Harlem against a very local person and the second time against Melissa Mark Verredito, the huh. former speaker of New York City when she was still speaker. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't win. <laughs> I got 30% of the votes, though. Not bad for a first-timer with, like, $700. Right. Um, uh, so that was an experience. Um, I've pretty much always been an advocate in my community, a very passionate person when it comes to human beings. I've also, you could say, have been affected by the war on drugs. I have been affected by the war on drugs. You know, my friends and family have been affected. I have been arrested for having bamboo paper Ugh. at one point in my life. Um, my ex-boyfriend um, had a small business back in the late 90s, early 2000s that he sold juices way before the craze happened. He was selling juices and then at the same time illegally selling marijuana. Um, so it's very interesting now how we're where everybody's like, oh, I want to open a cafe in the other states that I've legalized. Everyone's opening the small businesses. And yet when my ex-boyfriend or friends that I did know have businesses that ran the same way as my ex, they were shut down. You know, all the money that they invested in the business was gone. And, you know, no one said anything. They locked, got locked up for it. Lives were ruined. Um generational wealth that could have been provided to his children was no longer an option. Um, and so not only am I an advocate for marijuana, but I'm also a consumer. Um, and I believe in the benefits, the health benefits in the plant, not only, you know, the part to get us that, that good high feeling, I believe in the other part, the medicinal part of the plant. And so being part of Jaime Madre, especially at a time right now in New York State when we're trying to get it legalized in the next couple of hours, um, it's just really important for us to educate and advocate for this, especially in our communities of color. Right. Well, I've touched on a lot of things I want to get back to, but um, just one, you were arrested for uh, rolling papers. How did that work? So, <laughs> so first of all, we were po I was coming on the Palisades Highway coming from the Lake Welch, and there's a... I'm sorry, coming from where? Lake Welch, upstate New mm -hmm. York. 
um, they have like these lovely seven lakes. And so I was driving with my boyfriend at the time who was Latino and we were talking about politics. And I don't know if you noticed, I talk with my hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All and so <laughs> I was talking with my hands. We weren't even smoking or anything. Um, and the cop pulled us over. And at that time, I was really about asserting my rights when we were getting pulled over by a cop. And so the cop was just like, license and registration, never letting us know. Long story short, my boyfriend allowed them to search the vehicle. And my boyfriend had like a 20 bag of weed in the glove compartment. And then because I was sitting in the car and my purse had gotcha. bamboo, um, they assumed that I, but I was like, this is not my car. Also, I was rolling cigarettes. But anyway, yeah, of, I, I, I got arrested. I, they like kept me for like three hours. Um, up until like the other day, I had a warrant. <laughs> but it's so what, what finally happened to the charge? And that charge? happened years ago. It was like 2012. What happened to the charge ultimately? I think it's just dismissed. Mm -hmm. Because when I went to the court the first time, which was interesting, it was like a little house in Jersey. Um, we were asking the officers where do we check in. Again, it's like a little house. And they're like, just sit there and we're waiting and waiting. I'm like, hey, is someone going to see us? And they're like, oh, the DA has gone, so we'll send you a new date. But it took them two years. And so... Or you think ultimately it was dropped? It was. No, yeah, I was. Okay. it was confirmed it was great, dropped. Great, I did great, it up great, until great. 2016 it wasn't, but mm -hmm. as of this year, okay. as of March, In it the was clear. dropped right. <laughs> that I know of. Know. What a jive-ass uh, charge anyway, my God. Yeah, yeah, it would have been. Kara. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, uh, my name is Kara Bhatti. Uh, I'm originally from... Amherst, Queens. I come from an immigrant household. I was actually born in India, and I came here when I was two years old. I also went to Ithaca College upstate. I studied anthropology up there and um, dabbled in some of the business classes, but quickly decided that wasn't for me at that time. So um, it was a great experience because I realized my passion is education, and education when it comes to like all sorts of people. So. When I was in school, I got heavily involved in like mentorships with students, but the students were from like age five to like, you know, and going towards college. So it was nice to be able to like connect with people in that way. Um, I currently do work in the nonprofit world, but um, I got involved because, you know, Emily and I have been friends since college and this is something she's been very passionate about and it kind of like spun me into it. And I also quickly noticed, especially coming from the household that I do, how much misinformation is out there and um that's kind of like the biggest thing i've been a part of um a lot of this starts with conversation and i'm about stories and i think like when you're talking about marijuana if you're coming to a person if you you know are coming with your own story and there's no biases there because it's your story um and just like letting people know this was my experience with this and i've noticed um a lot of people from work even who have been very against all of this are now asking me for CBD oil sometimes. Ah, so, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, got you guys for your meetings, you know. It's been um, a real cultural shift over the past right. couple of years. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah, and the thing is that, like, I've noticed that, you know, even if a person is not very open the first time, time has always taken its mm -hmm. time, honestly. And then these same people are coming right back to me at my desk asking about the same things. Um, and it's also, like, it just helps people. So it's beautiful to be able to spread information that you know is right because you can speak about it with your experience and even when it comes to my parents who are very much so uh you know still like learning about this country even though they've been here way longer than i have 
and um, well, you were, you were born in India. I was born in India, and then my dad was actually here for ah. before mm-hmm. I was. Yeah, mm-hmm. he was working, and you know, had to go through the whole thing. And my mom came on later after she was able to like travel with us. Um, but it's been a it's been a long ride, and my mom does use CBD topical ah. creams now. Mm-hmm. So ah, so does mine. <laughs> yeah, so it's been good. It's been awesome. <clears throat> so uh, cannabis is actually. Uh, Legal for limited spiritual and uh, sacramental use in India, I understand. Mm-hmm. The Holly Festival. Yeah, yeah they yeah. have the drink that's made out of right, cannabis. Right, the lost cannabis. And you know what, yeah. though? I grew up watching Bollywood movies that would have this drink, and I never knew what was really in it. I just thought it was alcohol. And then I remember like really getting into, like, what's in this drink? And it was, it was cannabis. And it's not something that's like very openly talked about. It's just kind of like a thing that happens when hmm. this festival happens. <laughs> Um, but it's great. It's like Holy Festival is about colors. It's about like community, but it's also about like literally have a good time and get high. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. that's great. <laughs> We're in India. Uh, I'm from Punjab, which is northern India. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I come from a Punjabi household, Sikh religion. Um, my parents are pretty religious. I grew up more spiritual side. Um, I kind of dabbled in almost every religion through anthropology, which is why I got into that in the first place. Um, but it's been very interesting. A lot of um, different cultures have their own ways of healing, and cannabis is mine, so, yeah. And where in Elmhurst? Um, right next to Elmhurst Park, so um, there's a... Like, so on a Broadway, line. near Broadway. Yeah. yeah uh, I, grew, I grew up very near there. Actually. Oh, really? I Do you know where Hong in, Kong Supermarket is? I not sh- That's on Broadway, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I grew up in Elmhurst Towers. Um, ah, I grew up in Jackson Heights. Oh, so, nice. Okay, so you know all about that. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of ironic because when I was growing up in Jackson Heights, I thought that it was really kind of dull and provincial. And I would come into yeah. I would take the uh, the E train into the village to get like a fix of alternative culture and buy loose joints in Washington Square Park. And, <laughs> and you know, now I've been living for the past 30 years and here in the East Village and it's been completely gentrified yeah. and sterilized and taken over by Kmart and Starbucks, and now mm. when I want to fix a, a genuine, authentic culture, I get on the E train in the other direction and go back out to Jackson <laughs> go back Heights. To Queens, yeah. Exactly where you know exactly. there's like really all sorts of yeah. thriving, honestly, multicultural like to, stuff yeah. going on. You know, I moved to Brooklyn and I just went back home today because my dad's birthday and his father's day, and it was like it's a nice breath of fresh air to go back and be like I'm surrounded by people that look like me. Right. You know, yeah. so. So uh, you guys were just at the uh, at the protest at the at the rally to pass the the MRTA, the Marijuana Regulation and Taxation Act, up at the uh, governor's office here in Manhattan. How did that go? Um, that went really well. It was a large turnout. We had good press coverage. We stuck to our message. Um, again, for it to be a Sunday, Father's Day, it was good to have people come out in solidarity, even for the fathers who cannot be here or who have been criminalized when it comes to possession of marijuana. And it just was great to see the members of the coalition. We literally were on a call yesterday and it was like, act, act, act. And there we were. And all the news outlets were there. And so it was great. I think um, we did. I'm going to manifest. We did really good. We Our message was sent to the governor and we're waiting for the next couple of hours to see how the next much couple of hours we're really right down to the wire here yeah by the time uh, this is actually up on the internet and people are listening to it we could actually have uh, legal marijuana in New York State yeah. or not or not yeah you know um, sorry uh, just because if if even if we don't have something printed today an amended bill 
it could happen Monday, right? But then that yeah. would mean that legislation session would last longer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and we mm -hmm. know that a lot of the elected officials are tired and they want to get back home to their families because they have been spending a lot of time in Albany. Right. So we, we, our goal is that it gets done today. And that was why we were like, we have right. to have that conf press conference in front of his office today. All right, so you you guys are way more up on the whole parliamentary procedure angle of things than I have been just following it as a journalist because you guys are activists and you're right in the thick of it. But uh, just to uh, correct me if I'm wrong, my understanding of the basic situation is first you had the, uh, the MRTA, the Marijuana Regulation and Taxation Act, which was passed by the Assembly, <clears throat> uh, which was more far-reaching than the CERTA, the Cannabis Regulation and Taxation Act, which was amended to the state budget by Governor Cuomo, which was more limited and didn't have, uh, you know, the, the grassroots support that the MRTA had. But the fact that you had these two competing bills kind of um, gummed up the works somewhat. And finally, uh, the budget was passed without the CERTA. And you know, after all our high hopes that we were actually going to have uh, legal marijuana passed this legislative session, it didn't happen. And now at the very 11th hour, um, Liz Kruger, the assembly person from uh, the Upper East Side, is trying to pull a rabbit out of her hat and actually reintroduce the compromise measure of the MRTA, which has one activist support, but it still isn't clear that it has the governor's support. Have I got that right, pretty much? Yeah, yeah. that sounds right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the uh, Liz Kruger's version of the MRTA has now passed uh, both the assembly and the Senate? Well, they've... No, um, yeah, so the MRTA um, was conferenced in the Assembly, um, re received uh, enough co-sponsors, and then was conferenced in the Senate. We had been missing some votes, but I believe everyone has signed on now, especially since the amendment. And so Governor Cuomo has called for a conference. A three-way. A three-way conference between the Assembly and the Senate so that they can come to an agreement on an amended bill and hopefully come out with a C-print tonight um, that could, you know, hopefully... C print, C print, which means what? Um, so it's just the third version of the Marijuana Regulation and Taxation Act, um, because as you said, Liz Kruger uh, presented an amendment, amended bill, and so now the amended bill is known as the B print. So yeah. now they're conferencing and coming into negotiations to come into an agreement on a potential C print. Um, if they do come into an agreement on a C print um, and publish it, Tonight, um, there is a high chance, more than likely, we will legalize marijuana in New York State this year. Um, we just need the bill to age for three days, and the legislative session ends on uh, June 19th, which is three days from now. And so the governor just needs to sign off on <sighs> it, and marijuana is legal in New York. Yay. And one other thing why it was important for us to be at the protest today is because we actually don't want him to go in there and gut it up. We don't want him to make it look like his, his the his CERTA. CERTA. <laughs> we wanted to. St we we've we've done a lot to this bill to really tailor it to think the problems he had with it in, from the beginning. We've really wanted to keep that community investment, the reparative justice, and the equity. We don't want to lose that. We want to. All right. Because can we talk about some of the specifics of that? What are the um, the provisions in the MRTA around community justice and equity, which uh, were insufficient in the CERTA? So the CERTA was really insufficient because it wanted to grandfather all of the current medical marijuana dispensaries into the adult use market, which means all of the 10 medical marijuana dispensaries in New York that are um, all white, 
and some are not even from New York, would have the first stake in the med- in the adult use market. They're all vertically integrated, which means they control all parts of the supply chain from seed to sale. And so they, w- they would be perfectly set up to profit from the marijuana industry. And by the time that people of color have the resources and capital in order to start their own business, the market would already be oversaturated and we would not have a stake. McCarter did not have equity to ensure that um, equity applicants have a stake in the marijuana industry, that we have um, free to low cost license applications um, and licensing fees, that we have business incubator programs to support us in starting our own businesses, that there's startup capital so that we can start our own businesses. All of these things are in the Marijuana Regulation and Taxation Act. They actually have earmarked um, 50% of the tax revenue um, for community reinvestment, and that is going to go directly to community education. Um, business incubator co- programs, capital to start uh, for people to start their own businesses, um, which is big because this is the first bill in the country that has introduced this kind of community reinvestment. Um, and it's important that New York does this because we have had the most arrests um, in all of the country. And 86% of those arrests are black and brown. And so when we legalize, we have to ensure that the people who are profiting first from the industry are the people who have been criminalized by the industry and the people who have historically dominated the industry. Um, And so the Marijuana Regulation and Taxation Act um, also earmarks 25% for um, funding to the state education department and 25% funding to drug treatment programs and a public education fund, um, which is major. And Colorado's just grossed one billion in tax over revenue. It's went over. So that means that's five hundred million. Over five hundred million that's already directly going into communities that have been targeted and devastated by the drug war. And if we wait until federal legalization, it is not likely that we're gonna get this type of equity and community reinvestment in the bill. In Colorado there's still people who are in prison right now for marijuana related crimes and marijuana convictions because they did not legalize marijuana um with with expungement and with um ensuring that there is no criminalization in the underground market the mar- the marijuana regulation and taxation act has that we're ensuring that there's no harsher criminal penalties for people who are still operating in the underground market and um, there's expungement so everyone who's in prison for a marijuana conviction will be released and their expert their records would be completely expunged okay that's actually a provision of the merita yes uh-huh, uh-huh. and that was not in the serta uh, no, it was not. Um, there's also homegrown in the Marijuana Regulation and Taxation Act, which was not in the in the previous legislation, um, which is big because of accessibility reasons. Um, there are some people who cannot afford to be purchasing their medicine, and now they can grow it at home. Um, they know exactly what's being put in the plant. They can monitor it for themselves. They can grow exactly what their body needs. Um, and so I think that's really important. Um, and then there's also... Um, that's pretty much. Yeah, just so there was no provision for um, home cultivation in the CERTA. No, there yeah. wasn't. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. was that's not. an important point. Yeah, a lot of people really, when they hear that, especially in our community, at least when we've talked to folks in our community, they were like, oh, what? And up to six plants. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. there's also um, micro business licenses, which is really important um, for accessibility for people who don't have the capital, $100 million, to have a vertically integrated business. You can control one part of the supply chain. You can have an ancillary business. You can have a testing lab, a delivery business, a packaging business. Um, so you can control one part of the supply chain. And then there's also cooperative licenses, um, which is a really great. Um, so that's encouraging worker cooperative businesses, uh, worker owners, uh, ownership of your business which could create intergenerational wealth which is important for our communities um, that have been extracted of this wealth Um, that's an important point that was driven today was that um, we have already paid for this for this investment in our communities we have been we have paid with the lives that have been taken um, the years that have been lost in prison um, because uh, our 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 black and brown people our brothers and sisters have been locked up um, and been um, used as a tool in capitalism and been profited on by our government um, through through our tax through through our taxes that we pay into, and so we have to remember that you know our communities have already paid into this investment in our communities through the divestment of resources um, and the extraction of of our bodies of our people from our communities. Um, so this is not something that we're asking for. This is not a handout. This is something that um, our communities are owed um and so we deserve to move from a place of survival to a place uh, where we're thriving um what do you say used as a tool by capitalism what do you mean? i mean that the state receives about forty thousand dollars a year and that was back when i was in school in but in 2015 so the state was making at least forty thousand dollars a year per prisoner that was sitting in each prison cell and that's money that's being taken from our taxes that we pay, being given to prisons for each prisoner that's in their prison. Each prisoner is not seeing $40,000 in the resources that they're given. $40,000 is a full-time job to support a four, a, a, a family of four. People in prison are given uh, horrible food. Why? I know because Sudexo is one of the companies that is uh, feeding our prisoners, and they're also feeding our college students. They were feeding Ithaca College, and we forced our school to divest from Sudexo because they are serving horrible food that even college students would want to eat. So I could imagine what they're serving in prisons. So I know our prisoners are not seeing $40,000 a year in resources in that prison. So where is that $40,000 going? It's going to the staff. It's going to the people to run the prisons. They made prisons into an industry where you make more money off of people locked up in prison versus them running their own business in in, in, in their community. Um, And that's what we have to remember, that these people that have been criminalized are entrepreneurs. They have been the first people running these businesses in the marijuana industry. They are the original farmers, practitioners, and pharmacists of marijuana. So when we we see um, these uh, businesses profiting in other states and we see that they're all white, um, we have to remember that they are not the ones who who started the the marijuana um, industry. It was us. Um, the marijuana dates back to 27, 27 BC in China. People of color have historically harvested the marijuana plant have utilized it for medicinal purposes and so we have to remember that so when we talk about who should be dominating this industry it should be the people who have historically cultivated this plant um and so we're not asking for um we're not asking our government to do anything except stop criminalizing us for something that's already legalized in other states 
right? You talk about the, the communities which have historically dominated the industry, just to make clear, historically dominated the industry uh, when it was criminalized and, and had to, you know, bear the, uh, bear, bear the cost of that in terms of uh, people, being, people being imprisoned, families being torn apart, damaged the communities, etc. Yeah, and I mean, if we're going more historical, like um, marijuana has been dated back to 27, 27 B.C. And so our communities where we're from, um, like my family's from Puerto Rico, Pilar's family's from Puerto Rico, Mexico, um, Kara's family's from India. Um, our f communities, um, if we go back to, you know, where our people are from have also historically utilized this plant that has grown naturally, like in the Caribbean and other places around the world. Um, and so, you know, we've come to America through colonization and, and um, capitalism um, of our people. And so, yes, as also we have to remember that marijuana was also not always criminalized in America. It was in the in the nineteen. And I think that like the 1920s, 1930s, 40s, yeah, early 40s. Well, that at the federal became, level, 1937. It was reefer madness. It was the white people yeah. who are benefiting right now that were saying it was causing reefer madness and it was making, especially what I think it was like white women like being more, you know, promiscuous, promiscuous especially with people of color. Yes, and so it's funny now that here they are, like Emily said, are the first ones in those other states profiting. But in it was when it was legalized. Um, it was the folks saying, "No, you guys are going crazy because you're smoking." When it was when it was, when it was when it was criminalized, when yeah. it was illegalized. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Thirty-seven at the federal level. Some states already had outlawed it by then. Yeah. And it's very yeah. interesting because um, the reason why um, the Carter legislation was written the way it was was because the Ted Medical Marijuana... The CERTA, the, uh, the, the uh, Cuomo version, mm -hmm. the governor version, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, the Cannabis Regulation and Taxation Act. Um, the reason why the, that legislation was written the way it was was because um, the 10 medical marijuana um, license holders, um, dispensary license holders in New York State came out with a report in December stating that um, communities of color um, in New York City, <laughs> in New York, were not ready to enter the legal market, that we would not have the resources and the capital to properly, effectively enter the regulated market, and that we would not have the quality um, products um, that they would have. Um, entering the market, and it would I be missed time. this. This was actually a formal report yes. submitted to the governor mm -hmm. by by the ten uh, operating dispensaries. Yes. When was this? In December. Uh huh. Yes, and so that there would be there there would be a lot of time for us to have the you know the education um, to in order to learn how to run an effective you know marijuana business and be in compliance with the regulations um, in order to operate in this industry. All right, and AKA, your and your your response to this is what? I'm just saying, AKA what that is, when you read between the lines, is that people of color cannot be entrepreneurs and that we don't know anything and we need to ha have our hand held and be taught. It, it, I, I just think it's BS. Um, I have nothing else to say. Like I, we've mentioned, this has been our industry way before everybody else. Yeah, like I've told you, my ex-boyfriend had a juice bar oh, and sold some marijuana, a wellness store. Way before, another friend had a Jamaican restaurant where he also sold some marijuana. So you got some food and you got some weed. So this is something we've been doing for a long time. And, you know, so to, it's an insult mm -hmm. to have these big companies and people who are privileged and have money to say, oh, no, 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 you guys can't do it right now. We need to help. You know, it's BS. It's just because they want to have full control over it. 
just like everything else that um okay so uh, under the MRTA uh, these uh, these ten dispensaries are not going to be grandfathered into the uh, adult use, the general adult use market. No. So how how is it going to work? In the legislation as it's written now, um, I believe there's going to be a one to one ratio for every equity uh, um, license that's given out. There's going to be uh, one regular business license that's awarded, so that and to ensure that equity applicants are controlling at least fifty percent of the market. Okay, and how is equity applicants defined? Um, I don't know all of the um, all of the. Uh, criteria that would allow you to um, be qualified as an equity applicant, but I know some of the criteria is um, individuals um, and, fam and people who come from families that have been directly impacted by marijuana prohibition, um, and p individuals who come from communities um, who have been longtime residents of communities that have been identified by certain zip code areas that were targeted by marijuana prohibition. And criminalization. Because even now that, uh, at least here in New York City, there's been a, which was the marijuana arrest capital of the world under, uh, or certainly Giuliani. of the country, certainly of the country under Giuliani, there's been a tremendous drop in, in cannabis arrests due to the, due to the new policies. Uh, but the uh, the arrests which still are taking the certain loopholes even under the new policy where they're not supposed to arrest you even for public smoking now it's just supposed to be a citation there are still you know certain loopholes if you're doing it in a manner which creates a nuisance in a skin of you know close to a school zone whatever uh, even in the arrest which are continuing to take place uh, there's still the the disparity in terms of uh, you know the racial disparity in terms of who is actually getting arrested yeah, it definitely. And that existed back, you know, when there were um, you know, uh, lots of arrests happening under Giuliani, you know, more than any other city in the country. And it's still happening now that, you know, the overall number of arrests have been have been reduced. The, the disparity still persists. Yeah, the number from 96 to 2018, I believe, or 2017, I can't remember, the number of arrests have been 800,000. And eight of that 800,000, 86% have been black and Latino. So yeah, they have gone down tremendously since we no longer have Giuliani, but it's still occurring. Like when we were actually phone banking back in March, I think it was, or like the end of February, March, we had people coming to us saying, hey, did you hear the, pre I think it was the 25th precinct is going around businesses reminding and telling people, remember that you can still get arrested for marijuana. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? So I was like, what? And so that's another thing. What do you thing. say by going around? Going around where exactly? They were giving out flyers. Mm -hmm. So they were on the, so a matter of fact, the, the business, the, the owners of the 7-Eleven in the community. Had and and where is this. the 25th? The 25th precinct is on 119th Street between Park and Lexington uh, Avenue, uh, okay. East Harlem. Right. And so the fact that they were going around businesses to to hand out flyers, like I, I wish I had a copy of the flyer. I was like telling the person, see if you could, if they come back around, if they can give you one. Um, but they were going around miseducating folks about what, where, what about Mar the where it stands with marijuana and it have in fact it's been decriminalized something Jaime Madre has been working on but again because we're focused on the campaign is educating the NYPD <laughs> like 
what the actual law is. Like, let's have a sit down. You guys need to understand what the law says, what you shouldn't be doing. You should know also the DA in Manhattan is not looking to prosecute. Like, you know, uh, he's actually in favor of legalizing. Right. Like, he's a huge champion for legalization of marijuana. And so that's another thing that has to happen is educating our NYPD officers, especially because I'm, I'm going to manifest when the law changes. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and we, it's actually interesting. <laughs> we think that the police officers were handing this out in response to the marijuana yeah. forum that we hosted in East Harlem. Uh-huh. Because we had been going around to businesses and NYCHA buildings, um, NYCHA developments, and we were flyering and we were posting up flyers. New York City Housing Authority, NYCHA. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and so we think um, they may have seen the flyers and in response printed out uh, their own flyers mm, and started handing them out mm, to people, mm, um, which is very interesting. But like um, Pilar was saying, um, it, it is very criminalized um, and targeted um, towards people of color, um, the marijuana prohibition, and the way that... Um, the language of the Controlled Substance Act, how it um, caused the marijuana, marijuana, um, we learned that um, prior to uh, criminalization in 1937, marijuana wasn't even like the widely used term for the plant. Um, things like P- what Pilar's favorite word, jive, um, were used to describe the word marijuana. So it was very. I'm sorry, which word? Jive. Like G I V E? Yeah. Jive, yeah. Like jive turkey. Huh, because I kind of use that word, it's kind of outdated, it kind of, you know, dates me to the 70s, <laughs> but I kind of use that word to mean, you know, BS. Hmm. A lot of the jazz... I, I never heard that uh, pot was called jive. No, I've heard a, lot, also, yeah. a lot, if you listen, to, or, or you watch, uh, here's a promo, I guess, for a documentary, <laughs> um, The Grass is Greener, a Netflix documentary, yeah. Fat by Freddy. Right, and, which I um, saw at the event that you guys hosted. Yeah, and... Um, up in the Bronx. They, they talk about, like, I've, I've heard that term from another documentary, because a lot of the jazz musicians used to say put it in their music. All, so one of the songs is, All the Jive is Gone, All the Jive is ah. Gone. So come on in and have some gin, because All the Jive <laughs> is Gone, because this is when Prohibition happened. Ah. <laughs> and so there were a lot of jives. Like, if you hear it, Reefer Man, so went from, It's interesting, the country went from one form of Prohibition to another. Yeah, exactly. Almost seamlessly, right? <laughs> Got 10 years in between, right? <laughs> Do you remember who did that song? Um, Cataway, Cataway. Oh, Cab uh, Calloway. Cat- yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, like that. Um, but it's one of my favorites. I was actually listening yeah. to some jive um, music early this morning. There's some very interesting songs, mm-hmm. but they're cool. I, I'm into that. Well, you know, song. interestingly, I mean, the in the, the legal industry, and there was a legal industry for cannabis, uh, you know, before prohibition. Uh, they called it cannabis and they were creating, you know, tinctures and whatnot that people were using to treat them um, insomnia or to make cough medicine or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And it would say on the ingredients, you know, along with all the other various herbs and distillations, a little bit of alcohol, it would say cannabis sativa. And uh, then, but when they finally passed the law, it was the Marijuana Tax Stamp Act, right, of 1937. And Harry Enslinger's campaign was definitely emphasizing the word Marijuana. The actual text of the law says cannabis sativa because they needed to be very scientific in the law. But the big campaign, the big propaganda campaign to get the law passed was all about the dangers of marijuana, the assassin of youth, and particularly, you know, using that word because it was associated with Mexico and Mexican immigrants and and definitely uh, exploiting xenophobia to... Um, 
And I think a lot of the people who, uh, you know, to, to, to try to build support for the law, and I think a lot of the lawmakers down in Washington who, um, who voted up that act didn't even understand that, that marijuana was necessarily the same thing as cannabis. You know, so. People right now still don't. Yeah. And there's this big push in the industry now to, uh, which I feel a little bit ambivalent about, to de-emphasize the word marijuana and to just always call it cannabis. And I understand why, because the word marijuana has been so stigmatized and it's associated with the, with the stigma. Uh, and, you know, and cannabis is kind of like the new word, which sounds more scientific and sober. The gentrified word. And gentrified, exactly. There's an element to it of, you know, by, by eschewing the word marijuana, you're sort of capitulating to racism, I think, a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is another reason why we're like, no, it should also, that's why more, it should be called marijuana right on. regulation. Let's not right go on. down. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's interesting. The, the more progressive of the two bills in, in Albany was actually called the Marijuana Regulation and Taxation Act. Mm-hmm. And the more, uh, the, the Cuomo bill, which was the more sort of corporate bill, and the more conservative bill was the cannabis regulation and taxation. C-U-C, capitalism, yeah. corporate, wow. all of it. <laughs> Marijuana, minorities. <laughs> Got a little alliteration theme going here, I see. Very interesting, very interesting. All right, so um, Jaime Madre. Tell me about Jaime Madre. Yeah, so we're a women and femme of color marijuana cooperative. Um, we started in about August of 2017 um, in the underground market making vegan treats. Um, vegan treats? Yes. Tell me about the vegan treats. Uh, they're vegan um, infusions that me and my cousin Stacia uh, started to create under the pseudonym Flower Power. Um, so we created all these stickers that we gave out um, with the treats. Kara's actually one of our very first customers. She's had every single batch of um, <laughs> treats that we've ever created. So she's and, known... and what what are the treats made out of? Um, so there were different ones. Um, we made brownies. They had like um, avocado as like a base. Wow, um, really? Yeah. Avocado. Avocado brownies. <laughs> avocado brownies. Yeah. How interesting! You're gonna have to give me the recipe. That's fascinating. I'll send them to you. Huh. And then we had, like, Rice Krispie treats eventually. Well, um, the cannabis was not infused in the avocado, I don't imagine. Uh, no, it was infused because um, well, they're vegan. They're infused in coconut oil. Coconut oil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so we were able to make a few different um, concoctions with that. Uh, we did vegan Rice Krispie treats, vegan cookies, vegan banana bread, um, experimented a little bit with tinctures, we made jello shots, um, some gummies and things like that. Um, and so that's how we operated for a while. Um, but we really wanted to formalize as a business. Like, um, we really wanted to like own our own businesses, become entrepreneurs, work for ourselves. Um, and so, um, one of my coworkers, Adriana Mendoza, um, that worked with me at the Urban Justice Center when I was a benefits advocate, um, suggested to start the business as a worker cooperative, um, because, um, she says, um, you know, we worker cooperatives really embody the type of community reinvestment that we want um, to provide with our business because um, 
even before we were a cooperative, the, the goal of our marijuana business was to help the community, um, empower the community economically, um, bring quality medicinal um, you know, products to our community. Um, and worker cooperatives just through their seven principles of cooperation, just beautifully embody community reinvestment and working with each other and being codependent and working with the environment and things like that. Um, and so we did our first business incubator program in um, last summer, July of 2018, um, with Co-Fed um, Summer um, Cooperative Academy. Um, they were, they're in affiliation with New Economy Coalition, which is a network of worker cooperatives in Massachusetts. Um, that was a week-long training in Durham, North Carolina, with Earth Seed Land Cooperative, um, which is a farming cooperative. Um, it's owned by seven people of color. They own 38 acres of land in Durham, and they have two farms. One grows um, veg fruits and vegetables, and the other... Um, farm grows indigenous African herbs, um, which is really amazing. Um, and that was a very transformative experience. Um, and while we were there, we found out we were accepted into Green Workers Cooperative Academy, um, which is a business incubator program in the South Bronx, you know, geared to, um, you know, service people of color and help them start their own businesses. Um, me and Kara were both in the program together. If you want yeah. um, Green Workers was like really my first step into understanding what a cooperative would be. Um, I understood it at a very baseline level and then I realized even that would get really intricate and uh, Green Workers, um, they helped us really understand that a business is a business but it has to come down to the people that are in it and we need to make sure that everyone's voice really counts because very quickly there, and we've experienced this in every business experiences, but like going up and down, um, I think that we were able to build a pretty strong foundation with that in, in terms of like education and learning about how these uh, worker cooperatives operate, but also the fact that there's different kinds, right? So like you can really choose one that best suits the needs of your business at that moment. Um, and just like every business, we go through our transformations and it's been pretty amazing. Um, we've been able to learn a lot about just like simple stuff. It could be around communication, but communication when you have a business can be so, so disorganized is the word. And I think we learned pretty well on how to uh, put our very amazing ideas onto like a platform if we can and be able to really um, explore all these different things and you know as as a person that is part of this co-op I feel like we have a, a, a lot of amazing ideas that are coming about and it's been pretty amazing to see that as seven of us we're able to truly like vote on everything that we want to do and everyone has a voice and if you don't like what's going on voice it even if you're by yourself and um, everywhere, like it doesn't matter if it's just one person who is disagreeing. It's so important to understand that perspective because, you know, those perspectives will come up in the future at some point. So it's best to tackle it early on and understand why those things happen. So it's been pretty amazing. I have to say, as someone that's uh, been working in the nonprofit world for a long time, um, for myself, um, I feel like this has been really good for my spirit. Um, I feel like I'm heard. Um, and it's nice to be involved in work that you know that will directly impact what, uh, you know, what everyone's values are. And I feel like we're all very connected with our values. So, yeah. yeah. Um, 
the worker cooperative model is I'm very familiar with it, even though I've never been in a worker cooperative before until mm-hmm. until Jaime Madre. Um, I come from community development project at, C- at the Urban Justice Center, which our attorney comes out of. The model is the very same. We're very consensus based. There's no hierarchy. Like we have a director, but the director doesn't move unless we all decide. Like unless we all decide that that's the way the director's gonna move. And so we have committees, and so very similar that that's how we're, we work our cooperative. People are join committees, and we, we, we get things rolling that way. And it's, I don't know, it's, it is great to have, especially work with all these women who come with different expertise and different creativities. And we all are very passionate about this issue. We're all very aligned with the mission. We all come from different backgrounds and, but also different backgrounds, but also have experienced the same t- types of oppression and mm-hmm. capitalism that this country put, gives you when you're born. <laughs> yeah. um, and so it's really great to have this family and I look forward to eventually leaving my work in the nonprofit mm-hmm. legal service world um, and, <laughs> and start my business. Like, I already know that <laughs> there will be no going to work for no one else. Right. Um, it will be this, working for myself and then working for myself and the money that we gain from this thriving business, reinvest it back in the community and educate those people, also without limitations. Like, what I've learned in the nonprofit world, you you got to report everything, it's grant this, that, 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 expectations. Listen, if I want to give this organization money just because I believe in their mission, I want to give it to them. We want to give it to them without having to report, get certain a number of sign-in sheets. I don't want to go through that. I want my people to be educated and also be able to thrive just like us. So seven members of the collective. Seven. So far. Yeah. And you're legally registered as a business in the state of New York? Um, so almost there. Almost um, there. We have almost a completed, finalized operating agreement. Um, we're we're waiting like our first major retreat um, to really, um, you know, finalize our mission, vision, and values. Um, and that's basically the last section that's missing in our operating agreement, so that we can submit our application for an LLC. Um, and LLC, Limited Liability yes, Corporation. We decided to be an LLC. Versus, what exactly does that mean? Um, so uh, as a worker cooperative, you could decide to incorporate as a co- worker cooperative corporation or as an LLC. Um, we chose the LLC route so that um, we don't necessarily need to have employees. And so that, if, you know, that saves us a lot of cost on like employee taxes and fees that you have to pay like, with the government. Um, but what it also does, it allows us to have um, worker owners who are undocumented. Um, and so you can be because you're owner of a business and not an employee. Um, there's necess- there's not necessarily a citizenship requirement. Hmm. Um, and so we're opening up our membership to er- anyone and everyone who is interested in joining. Um, we don't want there to be any bar- barriers to membership for us. Yeah. Okay. And what are you actually? What What are your current business activities? If you're at liberty to say, we're definitely not selling anything uh, because okay. it's not legal. Um, we're well, just mainly shirts. focusing on our, shirts. Are we, oh, shirts. Yeah, yep. we are selling shirts. End Prohibition yeah. Equity Day One. Yeah. Jaime Madre, Marijuana Regulation and Taxation. 
Yeah, then there we have the bills there. And the names so. of the bills. Yeah, the numbers of the bills. And so and we've Senate been wearing, we wear these <coughs> shirts or we sell these shirts as well, especially right now, because what Jaime Madre has been focusing on is advocacy and education, especially in the communities that don't know what's going that have been affected by the war on drugs, the um, prohibition on marijuana. And that's because they don't know what's going on in Albany. And they also like see what they, you know, they hear what they hear on TV and they're like, oh, it's a lost cause. They see what's going on in other states and they don't understand that they don't feel like they're going to benefit. Meaning our people are like, well, I see California and, and Colorado. I don't recognize those people. So what's the point of legalizing if it's not going to benefit me? So we've been doing a lot of education when it comes to this is what's happening. This is why you should care. But also, if you don't care, you want to stay in the gray market. That's fine too. That's why we also created this legislation to protect, try to protect you, if you do decide to stay that. Okay, so the Merta lowers the penalties even for the unregulated market. It should be removing all penalties in the in the, in the gray in the market. market, up to a certain quantity, I assume. Um, that is unclear. I think that is finalized after we sign the legislation mm-hmm. in the regulations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another thing is, but we're hoping that all um, criminal penalties will be removed because we the purpose of legalization is to end criminalization. Right. Um, a lot of folks say we should just decriminalize. We don't need to legalize. But we've actually been decriminalized since 1977. And since 1977, we've arrested more than 800,000 people for marijuana arrests in and New York State. Yes, in New York State, and they and they have been racially uh, targeted. They have been 86% black and brown, like Pilar was stating earlier. And so when when we legalize, uh, we want to make sure we remove all criminal penalties associated with the underground market because, like we said, historically, this is the market that has always dominated the industry. And also when we know that the people who are going to be criminalized um, in the in the legal market are also going to represent, you know, black and brown communities. And that's that's for legalization to end the criminalization to stop our people from being sent to prison um, to stop the blood and the lives lost the years lost associated with marijuana prohibition yeah and when we say the gray market the underground market again we you see how they some law enforcement treat lucy cigarettes mm-hmm. you know certain person not too long ago was where to do a chokehold because yep. of lucy so we don't want that right um Absolutely. and so um, that's why we want to eliminate that. And so it's been a lot of educating our people on that, educating them on what it is, what is a worker cooperative? What what type of, when the, the market does open, if you do want to be, um, be a legal business owner, don't only think of dispensaries because we have noticed a lot of our folks are only mm-hmm. thinking of dispensaries, but there's so much more, right? And so we're trying to educate them on that. Then it's another education when it comes to another age group of people like our senior citizens who, especially in our culture, I mean, it's it's a half and half, but we've been noticing a lot of our Latino elderly folks are like, I can't stand the smell of marijuana. I don't want it. I don't want kids out there smoking. It takes a lot more <laughs> talking to those folks, but once they understand more about the plant, so we've got to educate our people about the difference of THC and CBD and hemp, because then once they, at least certain groups of people who don't want to get high off of the plant, when they start hearing the medicinal purposes of it, they're like, what? This is great. Yeah, and then also when we start telling them, teaching them, or educating them about what this will also mean for our youth, we're not, obviously, it would be 21 and over to purchase. Um, but also, 
what does that mean right now? If we don't legalize that right now, we got that MK, what is that, K2, uh, that that K2. synthetic marijuana right, that, yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. that's so killing so our called kids. So-called K2, exactly. So we all want the same thing. We want safety for our kids, right? But if we don't regulate it and legalize it, then we can't guarantee that because we all know kids are going to do what they're going to do the same way they do it with alcohol, mm -hmm. right? And cigarettes. They're going to find a way to purchase it. At least we can now regulate it in a way where they're not they're not ingesting something that might be laced, right? And they're not... And well, they're not it's such an irony that, you know, I mean, this dangerous so-called synthetic marijuana, a term I don't really like because it isn't marijuana at yeah, all, treated with something, who knows what, yeah, to, knows? you know, get you high, quote, unquote. They're, they're calling it K2. And there's such an outcry about, it. well, the only reason that people are buying that stuff is because they can't get the real thing because it's illegal. Right, right. So, exactly. I mean, it's yeah. totally out of whack. Yeah, and then another thing is we, we want to encourage our people why it's again it's always why it's important to legalize but they also think about the farmers think about we we don't want this big monsanto industries coming in pest giving us gmo weed so that's another reason why we've we're, we're tailoring the bill to try to prevent that because we do know there is that group of people now that also was against it now are going to try to come in and take over and we we want to ensure that our small business owners, our sm our farmers, are are protected because again, and, and then also like there's two other things like there's also so much trauma associated with mm -hmm. this. So I feel like even through our advocacy events, we're able to kind of chip away at those things because yeah. um, it's never going to be after one event you're just all of a sudden inspired to be back in this. Just because like they have, I know a lot of people. Um, just from where I, I'm living right now in Bed-Stuy, and I've had conversations with some of them, and it's been really interesting. They, Some of them don't even want to hear the word. They're just mm -hmm. like, why are we doing this again? Like, we've been through this before, and it's just coming back again. And um, just, like, changing the narrative around that is going to be really important. Or is it which word don't they want to hear? They don't want right. to hear the word marijuana? Cannabis. Or I cannabis, mean, like, honestly. <laughs> and I mean, especially in Bed-Stuy, like, People are getting arrested to this day over really silly things. So for them, it's been, it's been, it is traumatic, period. And it kind of triggers this experience of them not having their family members around, you know? And the other thing is that I feel like our advocacy events are also letting people know that entering this, uh, entering this whole business is actually something that is realistic. I've been to a lot of events in the beginning where I was just trying to get educated and get on top of everything because things were moving so fast. But I was often told and discouraged from kind of going into it because they kept bringing it back to money and like how much money it takes to start these things. And the thing is that any business period is going to take a lot of capital to start. But those options of like how can we get the capital are not being uh, really shared. Um, and it just comes back down to like, again, like this is what it takes. Like, what is it, $100 million to mm -hmm. start a dispensary? So stay away from that. Don't do this. Don't do that. So like as a person that... It was just me, one person walking into this event. And if I had a bright idea of wanting to do something, I'm discouraged and I don't want to get into this because it seems like not only is it not legalized yet, but it just seems like so many other factors are at play. And so many factors are at play because they do want to make it difficult for us to do all these things. But mm -hmm. if you're smart and you can read things and really like be able to get into the nitty gritty of things, I think all of this is possible, but it also just takes like that passion to be able to go through it. So, yeah. Yeah, piggybacking off of that, uh, that's why it's also so important to get involved with advocacy um, because you can get these things written into the legislation. Like we got 50% of community reinvestment 
in the legislation and part of that's going to go to business incubator programs and capital to help people start their own businesses um but part of the educational events that we're hosting around the city we are encouraging people to become entrepreneurs start their own businesses start worker cooperatives because there are a lot of resources in new york city especially um because we are like the worker cooperative capital right now in the u.s to help fund your own business for example pilar mentioned um community development project they partner with green workers cooperative academy and they provide pro bono attorneys to help you incorporate your business. Mm-hmm. Working World also partners with Green Workers Cooperative Academy and they provide startup capital for your business. Um, and then there's other organizations in the city like New York City Network of Cooperatives, um, Scenic, um, Center for Economic People Association in New York. Scenic. Scenic. C-E-A-N-Y-C. That they help you um, get, you know, business consultants, financial consultants, and they provide capital to to help you and your business thrive and grow. And they provide the support for you. And so there are resources that are already existing in New York right now that can help you start any kind of business. And that can be a marijuana business, too, because we're doing it. And that's how our business is getting off the ground and we really want people to be able to see that because we're doing it you can do it too and the reason we're hosting these educational events is so that we're not the only ones um, who are thriving in the marijuana industry mm-hmm. um, when we become a profitable successful business um, we I mean we already are <laughs> we want to make sure that we're not the only ones who are successful we want to look around the room and we want to see other people of color with successful marijuana businesses because this is our industry mm-hmm. this is the industry that our my father, you know, worked in and, and thrived in before he was criminalized. This is the industry that a lot of our family members have worked in and thrived in um, and dominated before criminalization. And so they should be the same ones to have a stake and to be able to thrive in this new industry. And there's a word that keeps coming up and it's saturation. I feel like it's like everyone keeps saying there's so many CBD, so many different businesses that are doing the same thing, but there's honestly saturation in everything. So that should not be another reason for people to not want to get into this business. So there's room for everybody, which I think is like, I solely, I really do believe that, especially in this industry, because uh, it's kind of special to be part of a group, well, not just even our cooperative, but like our entire cannabis community, because I won't say this about everyone, but I feel like we generally look out for each other. We want to make sure that we have one goal to make sure that it's legalized and it's done right. So... Okay, so uh, the cultivation operations uh, would also not be uh, grandfathered in under the MRTA? For instance, um, MedMen, which is definitely one of the more uh, corporate-oriented enterprises, are actually growing um, up in in Utica now, I understand, which is like, you know, this depressed (laughs) post-industrial town. Uh, up in upstate New York, up in the Rust Belt, where you know now uh, you know they're, they're they're actually growing cannabis, but uh, you know it's it's under the control of MedMen, which is really a multinational corporation at this mm-hmm. point. You know, I mean they've got outlets all over the country. Um, so uh, are, is, is is that, for instance, is that MedMen operation in Utica going to be providing for the recreational market under MRTA or not? Um, so under the current 
um, Marta Bill, no um, organizations or businesses are going to be grandfathered mm-hmm. into the adult use industry. Mm-hmm. Um, like I mentioned before, it's going to be a one-to-one ratio of equity licenses to regular business licenses. Um, so everyone's going to um, sort of, it's going to be like open open season. Everyone, whoever gets a license gets a license. But I definitely know if you're involved in advocacy um, and community reinvestment, um, that is going to make you a priority for a license. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really is going to come down to which of these medical marijuana um, dispensaries or cultivators um, or distributors are, um, you know, investing in these communities that have been historically criminalized um, for marijuana um, because you want to profit off of these communities. Um, what are you doing to give back to these communities? And that's really what it's going to come down to. Okay, so... Um being optimistic and assuming we're actually going to have uh, legal cannabis in New York State this year, uh, wh- where do you see, uh, you know, Jaime Madre uh, six months or a year from now? <coughs> Opening our legal marijuana business. We're going to have a farm. We're going to have our own cultivars. Um, yeah, we have a few different ideas of some um, subsidiary businesses that we want to have. Um, for Jaime Madre, some cooperatives um, that we would love to explore. Um, right now, we are focusing on CBD and hemp because that is what is legal in New York. Um, and we can't forget about hemp because um, a lot of these corporations, um, especially in Monsanto, Big Pharma, um, Big Tobacco and Alcohol, they've bought land in, in Long Island. Um, because they want to start growing hemp on that land. Oh, and Monsanto so, is yes. going to be launching hemp uh, farming on Long Island? Uh, yes, a lot of these corporations. Um, so hemp is going to go back to Kempstead. Imagine that. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they say, they're saying that uh, marijuana will be a billion-dollar industry, but hemp is going to be a trillion-dollar industry. Hmm. Um, so we can't forget about the value of hemp. Um, when we're talking about the marijuana industry, because hemp is marijuana. Um, And so we want to ensure that, you know, people of color, um, including ourselves, are, are, you know, owning our our land, owning our property, owning our homes, owning our businesses, creating intergenerational wealth for our communities. Um, And so that's really, that's really the focus, um, to be able to farm for ourselves, you know, you know, our future alkaline vegan diets um and then hopefully um be able to inspire support um and maybe even provide financial um assistance Mm -hmm. and capital to other people of color to be able to start their own businesses and own their own land own their own property start their own housing cooperatives farming cooperatives um you know and create a world where you know we are economically empowered um you know codependent on each other within our communities um supporting each other um working in you know in harmony with the environment and um you know just all thriving i right, should be clear just in terms of terminology under federal law hemp is cannabis that has uh, less than 0.3 percent thc the substance that gets you high, the chemical compound that, that, that gets you high, quote unquote, that has a psychoactive effect, where I would say, you know, marijuana or strains of cannabis, which have more than 0.3%, although really you need quite considerably more than 0, 0.3% to have a, a psychoactive effect. So the farm bill, um, which was just which passed, was passed in December, December yeah. um, 
uh, it made an amendment to the definition of marijuana in the Controlled Substance Act to no longer include the the genus of hemp um, as part of the the marijuana plant but hemp is definitely still marijuana um and what's legal to sell in um new york is hemp and cbd that has under 0.3 percent uh thc in it um that amount like you said is, is a very small amount but if you take it in large quantities you could have a psychoactive effect but that's like you know drinking multiple bottles of cbd oil right um but everyone's <laughs> right. endocannabinoid system is different so everyone's tolerance is that's also going to be different yeah. um but hemp does not naturally just grow with 0.3 percent thc um what the levels of THD that grows in the hemp varies, and what companies often have to do is um, extract the THC sometimes from the plant. Um, that's why you see broad spectrum and CBD isolates in order for them to be in compliance with the with the regulations around hemp in New York right now. But hemp naturally grows with THC, yeah. CBD, and other cannabinoids that are naturally found in the marijuana plant. Um, but, you know, we're Do you want to explain the term broad spectrum? Yes. Yeah, so broad spectrum means that the THC has been extracted out of the of the CBD product. Um, full spectrum is the whole marijuana plant um, extracted into a marijuana product. So it's going to have the full cannabinoids, the terpenes. There is going to be THC in it. But if it's sold legally in New York, it's going to have under 0.3%. All right. And the terpenes are the stuff which gives uh, marijuana its distinctive smell. Yes, and terpenes are basically essential oils. Um, terpenes are found in all plants. Um, think mint. Um, think you know lavender. Um, Conifers. Pining. You yeah. know all of these things are terpenes, and they you know similar to like you know mint and lavender and you know pine. They have medicinal properties and benefits. So along with the medicinal benefits you're getting from CBD and THC, because um, THC is not just psychoactive. There is medicinal properties to THC. Um, you're also getting the medicinal benefits of terpenes and other cannabinoids like CBN that is found in the marijuana plant. And, you know, with legalization, we can start to learn more about the different cannabinoids because there's over 100 different cannabinoids that are found in the marijuana plant. And we can start consuming marijuana for, for our needs, for our body, um, so that we can really be, um, you know, taking advantage of all the medicinal benefits of the plant. And uh, do you want to talk more about... Um <coughs> Alkaline vegan diet. <coughs> vegan, vegan, I've heard of, but what's alkaline vegan? Yeah, um, so the reason why we're plant-based, why we're vegan, well, I'm not there yet. is because... Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a, 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 what they call a Pisco vegetarian, I guess. Piscatarian. Piscatarian, yeah. Yeah, so the reason why we're plant-based and vegan is because my cousin Stacia insisted that we that we need to be. Um, she said, you know, just for ethics, marijuana is a medicine. It's you know, it's it's wellness. It's um, it's good for your body. So why would you put it in a product to consume that is not good for your body? Like what? Like in an edible that's like made from like a cake box mix right. or a brownie gotcha. box yeah. mix or something like that. Or like a, a CBD tincture with psychotropics in it. Or taking a pill, like a, like a CBD or THC pill with like other, other components in it that are like synthetic or, or not real things like that like why are you turning something that's natural into something that's synthetic something that's processed um that might have something genetically modified in it that's not good for your body 
um, that. And then also her mother um, is diabetic and has thyroid. And so she's at risk for, for both of those diseases. And so she has to really watch like her own diet. Um, and so it just made sense for us to also be plant-based because that is what we want to promote in our community. Um, more recently, one of our friends, um, she has a, a vegan, alkaline vegan uh, food business. Um, she's on Instagram. She's called La Frugal Alcalina. La um, K? La Frugal Alcalina. The Frugal Alcalina. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. And basically, um, it's the idea that there are fruits and vegetables that are not um, grown naturally. Their seeds have been genetically modified um, and created using um, naturally you know, naturally growing fruits and vegetables. They're called hybrid vegetables. Um, so things like plantains are a hybrid vegetable. Spinach is a hybrid vegetable. Hmm. Oh, yeah? They say carrots is a hybrid vegetable. Well, you the, 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 the varieties which are uh, commercially available today are hybrids. Yeah, majority. Yeah. Anything that doesn't have a seed in it is most likely a hybrid vegetable. Um, doesn't grow naturally. Has been grown using a genetically modified seed. Um, and so, um, those, those are, those things are, are acidic, are naturally acidic. And they say, um, acid anywhere in the body, uh, you know, allows disease to, to grow. Um, and so, and it also creates mucus in the bodies and they say mucus is also linked to many diseases. And so the idea of having an alkaline, uh, diet, uh, is they say, um, you know, disease can survive in an alkaline diet. Hmm. I'll have to look into this. So uh, no orange juice, which is, of course, acidic. I mean, I need to drink orange juice when I wake up in the morning. If it has seeds in it, then it's a a naturally grown orange, and that's fine. But it's it's still acidic. Well, I'll get up to speed on this. I'll do some time Googling alkaline diet. Okay. I don't know when it changed into alkaline diet because I feel like... Um, in 2012, when I started changing my eating habits and learning more about GMOs, um, and everything that we were eating was pretty much fake and processed. Mm -hmm. We didn't talk about alkaline, but it's true. Like when I started changing my eating habits, I suffered really bad from acid reflux where they Mm -hmm. wanted to prescribe me the purple pill. Mm -hmm. And I'm not big into taking pharmaceutical drugs. Next year, I'm one of those. Um, All right. So how did how did you change your diet? So when I started educating myself, educating myself on GMOs, I started juicing. I started avoiding a lot of things like eating more raw, but a lot of reading labels. Like yep. if it, it didn't. I always read if the it labels. Didn't say natural, like the orange. It said like yeah. natural flavors. I'm yeah, like, okay, exactly. This is not what it. Are those natural flavors. And yeah. when it's I kind of a loophole in the them, law. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not all fruits though I ate had seeds, although I really tried. Not like my. I remember not all my oranges had seeds, and my grapes didn't have seeds. But I really tried to buy from farmers markets. Right. Um, but also, you have to be careful there too. But. Even though I didn't stop the carrots, even though it's acidic and alkaline, that acid never came back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And people used to tell me, oh, it's orange juices, you like too much vinegar. And I'm like, eh. Yeah, I need my o- OJ when I wake yeah, up. Yeah, and so I like my OJ. And so it wasn't really, it's just I had fresh squeezed orange right, juices. Right, right. That's definitely like, superior. Whatever it of course. was that they yeah, were selling yeah, in the store yeah. that has fructose syrup. Because there's no, a lot no, no, of no, 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 things no, 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 in no, no, we no, don't no. even know that provide um, all this acidic. And I had 
bad case of heartburn where mm. I would wake up like that burning sensation and that all went away. Good, good, glad to hear um, it. So I don't know when it changed to Acline, but I feel like it's this, it's it's all the same, but I'm learning more though, like apparently garlic is acidic. And, oh yeah. And not Acline, and so. I can't do without garlic. I know, it's garlic really hard to Garlic like, is fundamental to my garlic. existence. Um, I have a recipe for alkaline garlic that you can create, I'll send it to you. Oh yeah? yeah. Alkaline garlic yeah. recipe for alkaline garlic. Food is really, like, so it's a question of how the garlic is prepared, or uh... you you have to prepare it at home, but it, it'll basically have the same flavors as the garlic, but it's using like real vegetables. Oh, interesting. I'd be yeah. curious to know more. Yeah. But friend, I'm, you know, I can't slogan, give up garlic though. My friend's slogan is that you have to remember we are the flavor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm half Italian, and that that half of me is the garlic flavor. No. (laughs) Well, she told me that I almost died, but then when she made a meal without it, I was like, oh. Without garlic? I can't can't make a meal without garlic. Not dinner, anyway. Maybe breakfast. If I'm making oatmeal, it's not going to have garlic in it. But if I'm making my dinner, it's going to have garlic and olive oil, no matter what it is. It's the first thing I start with is garlic and olive oil. Anyway, but I'll definitely, uh, I'll, I'll Google this and try to get up to speed on the alkaline diet. That's a new one on me. Yeah, you would have to do alkaline garlic and grapeseed oil. Mm. Apparently heating up olive oil is a no-no. Well, it depends on how much you heat it. Olive oil needs to be heated gently. It, it burns very easily. But it's okay to heat it, I think. Anyway, I'm just, you know, that's the way my, my peeps on my Italian side have been doing it for countless generations. So. Mm. Anyway, uh, so uh, you're hoping to have a, a storefront, Jaime Madre? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it won't be called Jaime Madre, but yes. We, it, it won't we, be called Jaime Madre? No, yeah, it won't be Jaime Madre, the what, storefront. What, why is that? Um, it's a better name. We, yeah, we, yeah. Have a, we, um, we have a couple of we names. We like the idea of, you know, flipping the... the I, flipping the head of Brad Dig. Um, you know, our pseudonym for our... Under our, you know, our little treats business was flower power. Um, we like the idea of what, what, which power? Flower power. Flower power. power right so on. Yeah. We like the idea of like all of our little businesses to have different names. All of our product lines to have different names, different logos, different brands. Gotcha. Gotcha. There's, we're gonna be we're gonna be reaching a lot of different communities too, and so a lot of our branding and our messaging are gonna be targeted towards those communities, um, and so that's really gonna shape um, like the name and mm-hmm. things like that. And yeah. where are you hoping to cultivate? East Harlem. Wow, great! Right, right rooftop where, or indoor? Well, or? Not cultivate. Um, we're opening a brick but, and mortar. Yeah. Um, we do not have a license to grow hemp or marijuana. Right. Well, not yet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, um, looking to the future. In the future. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, we want to um, cultivate. Um, yeah, in East Harlem, in New York, we'll probably do some kind of like urban growing, maybe like some greenhouse. Wow, um, great! Growing. And then we definitely want to like work in um, Puerto Rico. Um, possibly Mexico and India, like where our families wow. are from, uh, and that'll probably be like outdoor growing because we all love outdoor homegrown. Right. That's the Make best. it international, you know. Yeah. And Mexico was hoping to legalize as well this year. They legalized medical marijuana. Yeah. yeah already. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're hoping for have a pass of general legalization in Mexico, which would be really groundbreaking because then, you know, the United States is going to have uh, you know, countries which have legalized cannabis on both sides, to, you know, Canada to the north and Mexico to the south. That's going to really put more pressure on on Washington. Mm-hmm. Although if the current administration and the current completely fascistic dystopian administration in Washington, it's hard to imagine any progress. Mm-hmm, yeah. But one of the things that I was talking to Emily about was like, God for, let's just say, God forbid, it doesn't get passed in 
the state level, right? New York state level. Well, there's always next year. Got... No, no, no. There's no next year. Next year is yeah. an election year. We know how the electeds work. They won't yeah. pass anything. Mm. But I was, I was saying, like, what then? What should Jaime Mother be thinking about on a federal level? Should we be creating a campaign? Is there a campaign? Because I'm really not sure. There is a National yeah. Cannabis Industry Association. Should we join that? Should we be creating the legislation similar to the way we wrote it on for New York State? And so that's something that um, has crossed my mind, at least, and I've shared it with the members that we should be thinking about. Well, what also, if? What, what, what if? And what should if we should join that advocacy, too, like so that we can make sure, because of the current administration, that we have something tailored to look similar to like what we did some here sort of in the consistency States. and yeah. something that is so not regulated right now is important. Yeah. So yeah, we've already been in contact with marijuana advocates in other parts of the country. Um, Nina Parks from um, Supernova Women um, and Mirage Medicinal. She is like a major advocate um, in the marijuana industry in California and San Francisco. Um, and so we're definitely um, setting up t um, time to meet and connect with her to talk about how we can build um, this fight for federal legalization. Also, the People's Dispensary has been offered, um, you know, our coalition, the Start Smart Coalition to Legalize Marijuana in New York, tremendous support in drafting um, the Marijuana Regulation and Taxation Act to make sure that there was equity and community reinvestment and that we didn't make similar mistakes like they made um, with the legalization in California. Um, and then we're also connecting, you know, Sonia from Massachusetts Recreation and Consumer Council, Massachusetts. Um, and I have a lot of folks who um, um, like my friend Michelle, um, who are in the underground market in Chicago, and Chicago just opened up um, legalization in the, the adult Illinois use just market. Passed, became the yeah. 11th state to legalize. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so we definitely have connections to to folks in different areas um, who are involved in the marijuana industry and who want to connect um, to you know fight for federal legalization. And so that's definitely something on the horizon. All right, you, you said a bunch of things. I want you to elaborate on a little bit. Uh, the People's Dispensary, mm -hmm. what's that? Um, so they are a um, all um, LGBTQ um, and mostly POC owned dispensary in Oakland, California, um, and they they grow, they cultivate, they they do, um, they sell, they have a retail, um, they do a lot of um, like educational um you know educational work with the community um a lot of community reinvestment re, um, empowerment and you know they're supporting a lot of states in in each state's individual effort to legalize marijuana hmm. do you know where in oakland there are dispensaries i can look it up for you yeah it doesn't matter you can google it later yeah <laughs> and uh, the start smart coalition the Start Smart Coalition is a coalition of about 100 or more um, organizations who are coming together to fight for um, ending prohibition on marijuana. And here so in New York State. Here in New York yeah. State. We have been in Albany. We've been <laughs> in Albany a lot this year. I've seen Albany more than I like to see it. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, so our coalition is just literally trying to fight for legalization. That's a long trip up to Albany. You've, you've been going back and forth, like, yeah, several times I've this year. Gone in the, the reason my voice sounds like this is because I've been talking a lot and chanting a lot and right. rallying a lot. Ch because, chanting slogans at rallies, yeah, both and, down here and up in Albany. Yeah, yeah. and um, not only I have many hats, as I mentioned in the beginning, so I'm also part of um, the advocacy coordinator and the tenants unit in my 
organization. So as you may or may not know, the rent laws were expiring for rent stabilized tenants. And we just want some victories. So I, I was yeah. part of, you know, fighting for those victories. A lot of the organizations, those are our partners that we work with. Those are a lot of those are my I need tenants. to get up to speed on it, but I understand uh, vacancy decontrol has been yes. uh, eliminated yes. or... Uh, are now rents considered rent stabilized if this is rent controlled yeah um there are a lot we didn't get all the nine bills that we wanted in that but we did get really good bills passed things moved in the right direction as opposed to the wrong direction yeah so for in in the side of the tenants now also we will no longer be back like oh the rent laws are expiring the rent laws are expiring they're now permanent we got rid of preferential rents and now very good very good the only one thing that we were really fighting for a legis- piece of legislation that my office wrote was um, eliminating MCIs and eliminating the IAI. I mean, we didn't write the IAI. All right, major capital improvements. Major capital and improvements. what's the other one? Individual um, apartment improvements. So mm. these are uh, these are ways that landlords jack um, up the rent. Jack up the yeah, rent. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah, yeah. we were trying to get that because we know that MCIs are a permanent rent increase. Yep. And so I've been in Albany for, for tenant universal housing. Um, and then for marijuana and, and yeah, so it's been a lot of trips to Albany. Thankfully, um, the coalition has provided buses, um, food, and I because last week I had to be there two days back to back. Wow! It provided me shelter. Um, they give you housing a, up there as yeah, well. Yeah, they provided yeah. me mm-hmm. with some. All right, now they is a Start Smart Coalition. Start Smart Coalition. Start and then the name, I assume, is a reference to uh, your demand for day one equity and actually yes. getting it right here in New York it, State. Yeah, mm-hmm. Exactly. We're the mo- most progressive state in the United States. This is the most progressive bill when it comes towards marijuana, so we need to... We All right, so do you want to contrast this. like the way it's worked out? Uh, and we won't talk about Colorado because Colorado does not have a particular... Uh, reputation for being progressive, but California does, and the way it's unfolded there is uh, is also, uh, in, in many ways, uh, you know, suboptimal, shall we say? Do you want to talk about the mistakes that California has made, which we're hoping to avoid here in New York? Well, I know some things where, um, like, some folks were not getting like their approved for like their temporary licenses in time. People didn't have um, the startup capital um, in order for them to be able to start their own businesses and actually compete in the market. I do believe there was a fee, even though it was um, it was much um, smaller than like the the fee to open up a dispensary in other states. The the equity license um, did have a fee attached to it, um, and um, I also know that. Um, you know, it took a long time to roll out the rules and regulations, and the rules and regulations were often changing very quickly, and so your business had to be in compliance with those rules and regulations. And so there could have been a lot of money lost in, you know, in relation to you know, having to make like an improvement in your store in order to be in compliance like with the doorways or with the packaging and things like that. And as people of color with you know, limited resources and capital, it, become, it can become very costly. Um, and then also, like if you were operating with the temporary licenses, um, depending on how you were paying your taxes, whether it was quarterly or at the end of the year, um, you, I, think, I think for marijuana it was at the end of the year, um, people were coming up at the end of the year and didn't have enough money to pay um, back their taxes that they owed because of the Controlled Substance Act and the, the provision with the taxes. Um, you, I think the federal government's allowed to tax like 90% of like your, of your uh, revenue. Like you're only able to write off like I think um, like the cost of like paying your staff or something like that. 
and so yeah I'm, I'm sorry that that went past me how, how does that work yeah so under the controlled substance act um this was like meant to really um prevent um uh, people who are in the um who are in any type of market to sell dr um any type of drugs um and pre to prevent money laundering um that they would ta they tax like it's a really high percentage i think it's like 90 percent of what kind of, of businesses uh of anything relating to like drugs and hmm. it's like they think you're money laundering mm -hmm. or things like that mm -hmm. like you well there's are restrictions on uh, financial transactions mm -hmm. I mean, the controlled substances act sort of folded in the uh the marijuana laws in the, when they revamped the law in 1970 and that's like the current federal legislation which bars marijuana yeah. yeah and so i know that there's also a federal push to change the taxes um because a lot of people are going out of business because they can't afford to pay their taxes yeah, the safe banking act mm -hmm. yeah which is unfortunate which would allow uh, cannabis companies access to mm -hmm. federally regulated financial institutions mm -hmm. yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah and so for all of these reasons um it was very difficult for people to be able to start their own business, being unclear about the regulations, regulations always changing, not having the capital to always be in compliance with the regulations, um, the taxes, and then like the penalties for not paying taxes or not, or the penalties associated with paying fees for not being in compliance with the rules and regulations. Um, there were like many factors. Right, you mentioned equity licenses in California, but that's uh, they just passed an equity bill in Sacramento last year, mm. which was two years after cannabis was generally legalized in California. So they're, they're, they're slowly bringing the law in the right direction. Yeah, I, what happened was mm -hmm. um, like they, they had passed legalization, um, but the, the bill for the equity part had not been finalized, and that was something that they had been fighting for for so long, and so the equity applicants couldn't start operating their businesses right. because of that. Right. And so all of these barriers are um, what they wanted to ensure didn't happen in New York, especially the, the community reinvestment part, ensuring that the government was going to be responsible for providing capital to support business incubator programs um, and, and capital for people to be able to start their own businesses. That really sets us apart um, from anywhere else in the country. That and also um, ensuring that there's no recriminalization of the underground market. Um, because in other states you are seeing that people are being, um, you know, criminal. Like there are like marijuana police in California That's right. mm -hmm. that are like undercover. Mm -hmm. um, looking they just created a special task force in uh, California to crack down on the uh, illicit market. And it's actually uh, perversely, to my mind, this task force is being funded by <laughs> the, uh, the tax revenues from the legal market. Uh -huh. <laughs> so... Yeah, it's very interesting because um, they say that the underground market just grossed more money than the legal mm -hmm. market in California this past year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so, you know, with the Marijuana Regulations and Taxation Act in New York, we want to ensure that, you know, one, um, there there is a trans transition and a pathway for people in the underground markets to enter the legal market so that they, they are the ones who can profit on day one in this industry. But if they choose to decide um, to stay in the underground market for whatever reason, there's no recriminalization of our people and our people are not being imprisoned for deciding to stay in the underground market. So uh, you wanna talk about the name a little bit? Why Hi Mi Madre? 
Who was Madre? <laughs> my cousin Stacia actually came up with the name. Um, she said her grandmother uh, was the one who made her think of it. Um, it's one of her grandmother's favorite phrases to say. Um, Ay mi madre is a play on words. It's a popular phrase in Spanish. Um, that's ay mi madre, a y. Uh, oh, now I got I it. Mi madre, of course. Um, which is like oh my mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. but it's meant to you know mean like oh my god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so people can use it in a playful way, but they could also use it when they're upset. Um, and so, um, my cousins, um. My cousin's uh, grandmother, uh, she's very passionate, you know, as many Latinos mm -hmm. are, um, you know, we, we have a lot of emotions and we express it. We have a lot of like words to express our emotions and things like that. And so I mi madre is one of them. Um, and then it's, it's just a play on words. Stacia came up with the high H-I-G-H, high mi madre. Um, and it's just meant to mean like, oh my God, like your weed is so loud. Um, <laughs> but then also like represent us as women. Um, you know, mm. me and Stacia are both Puerto Rican women, and so, you know, it embodies our Latinidad. Um, and it's also nice that, you know, it's not in English, because English for us is the colonizer's language. Um, and so it's, it's well, nice I that... Well, is English. Mm -hmm. yep. It's a pun on... It's a play on I. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And so, you know, for us, you know, it really feels like it represents us. Um, you know, it's playful, it's fun. And it's also something, you know, as you just said, hi is in English. And so it's something that... Um, this, whether you know English, um, I mean, whether you know Spanish or not, if you're an English only speaker, a lot of people mm -hmm. still are able to identify yeah. with the word, um, and sort of pick up kind of what it means. Some people know like some basic words in Spanish and are able to decipher, um, like the saying, um, and the play on words. And so I think that's really fun, um, especially because, um, and remember that, you know, there's all of Latin America, the Caribbean, there's Spanish-speaking countries in Africa, there's countries in Europe that speak Spanish. Our name can really be uh, <coughs> something that people can connect with internationally and globally, and so I think that's really, really dope and really special. Cool. So, Pilar, you have uh, family roots in Mexico. I do. Whereabouts um, in Mexico? In Torreon, Mexico. Um, it's unfortunate, though. My grandmother took all the secrets to why she just got up and left Mexico. I have this theory that I also have, you know, some Sp Spaniard in me, and so I mean, some Spanish. So I, I don't know much of my roots in Mexico, unfortunately, because when growing up, um, I was embarrassed to be Mexican. Yeah. When I was younger, and um, I didn't, I because how people treated Mexicans, and yeah. I had saw that, and so even in uh, Spanish Harlem, yeah, Mexicans were are still somewhat mistreated and discriminated against, and um, so I chose to not really involve myself in really educating myself on my history of my family and why my grandmother left Mexico, why did my father come here at the age of twelve. Why don't my uncles and my father look alike? Uh, you know, they, my father's very fair. He's like a little darker than you, but very white, had red hair, very tall, so not like your average oh, This is on which side? My father. So my father's the Mexican. My mom is the Puerto Rican. Mm -hmm. um, but my father was born in Mexico and mm -hmm. came... In Torreon. Yeah, and came at the age of 12. Didn't speak a word of English. 
And now he doesn't speak a word of Spanish. Uh, Um, And a lot of folks, because the neighborhood we grew up in, which is East Harlem, but like 116th Street area, was predominantly Italians. And so my family, my Mexican side of my family has been raised with Italian families. So my father carried himself like an Italian. And so like if you talk to him, he comes off more like he's Italian. Well, I know that area used to be heavily Italian. I thought today it was more Puerto Rican Dominican. No, no, yeah, but I'm talking about back then. That's when my Back back then, back when? What, what decade so are we talking my about fa- here? I'm going to say in the 50s. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so we own a, a three-family building between mm-hmm. First and Pleasant Avenue. Mm-hmm. And so our, the other family was right across the street. Mm-hmm. And so I've been raised with their kids. And so um, unfortunately, I didn't really get to know my family in Mexico. And my grandmother passed away. And then my grandfather passed away, who wasn't my really biological grandfather, I discovered later on. Mm-hmm. Um so I have a lot of research to do. Mm. Um, I don't want to do that ancestry thing <laughs> because I'm not giving my blood to no well, one. Well, the, the keep DNA blood. analysis, yeah, absolutely not. never. Yeah, so I, I, I just got to figure that. out another way to get around this. And so my one of my uncles, he seems to keep in contact with some of my family. Well, there, so you still have a family connection that you could Yeah, um, I have one back. family connection. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Possibly link me back. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, have you been? I've been to Mexico, not to Torreon. Mm-hmm. I've been to Cancun, um, but that's as far as I've gone. Mm-hmm. I didn't, again, start really appreciating my culture until I started really maturing more, like in my late 20s, my early 30s. And so that was just only a few mm-hmm. years ago. And so um, now is when I really like kick myself in behind. I really wish I would have like sat and talked to my grandmother, even learned some of the recipes. Right. Um, because now I like crave it. It's really crazy. Like <laughs> chilaquiles, I could yeah, have yeah, that. I love <laughs> oh, and she used to make it all the time. I remember, and I was like, no, I don't want any of that. And so, unfortunately, I don't know much about my Mexican side. Well, you can make chilaquiles. Just uh, you know, get yeah, some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I use olive oil and like... garlic, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then tortillas and hot sauce That's and funny. maybe tomatoes and scallions. <laughs> and, <clears throat> and you've also uh, got family roots in Puerto Rico. Yeah. So I mean, I don't have most of my like my mom's side of the family. We're very small. Um, so it was my grandmother, my mom, my sister, and me, and my grandfather. Uh, my uncle had passed away, and my grandmother's sister had passed away that was really that was all around and so right now my grandmother no longer she's the one who raised me so my puerto rican side of the family raised me my grandmother from my mom's side um but my father was just right down there but i mostly live with my mom whereabouts on the island huh um ponce Mm -hmm. ponce is where my grandmother's from although she also says she was cuban so who knows she has this whole story about because my great grandmother used to sell alcohol out of the apartment during the prohibition time so there's like a story that um some guy who used to come on the regular to get his liquor um was having an affair with my grandmother my grandmother's mother um, and so it's this theory that he also is my grandfather. He was ah, Cuban. Mm-hmm. And if you look at my grandmother, I kind of could believe her. So, but I don't know. But yeah, Ponte is where the families come from. Okay. And have you been? I've been to Port. I lived in Puerto Rico. Okay. I didn't. Um, I lived in Umacao at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent about two years in Puerto Rico. We had a really bad car accident, so I swore I would never go to Puerto Rico again. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can't stand Puerto Rico because it was a hit and run. 
the car oh. flipped over three, well, three times. Well, it happens here too. God yeah. knows. Yeah, but that I never experienced the flip of three times. Right, and, no, like, that's rough. And so that's rough. Um, it was an experience that I was traumatized by, and so. But then I grew yeah. up, and I was like, "Oh, I love Puerto Rico. I want to be in Puerto Rico." And so, <laughs> those things changed. But I lived yeah. in Puerto Rico. And I note that you're uh, wearing a pin that's got the Puerto Rican flag with uh, the colors yeah. all in uh, black and white, black and white to yeah. symbolize the the crisis on the islands. Yeah, the liberation. Yeah. Exactly, and um, so I am definitely in my community. They know me as Pilala Problema. Oh yeah, people I like that as a good as a good way, you know. The problem, I hold people accountable, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so I embrace that name and I love it very much. Mm-hmm. Some people are like, "Oh, you're a problem." Yeah, I'm a good problem, depending on who you're asking. Community <laughs> board may not agree when I come. Uh, when I went to go set up a meeting for us to present at the full board, because that's something we we are really working on too, is building a relationship with the local community board, um, especially when we're going to open our shop. You know, right. we got to get permission yep. from them. Yep. And so, um, because I've been really focused on the marijuana, I haven't been focusing on the rezoning and all the other crises going on in East Harlem. I haven't been to a meeting this year. And so, when I went and showed up to the committee level meeting, they were like, oh, Pilar, like, where have you been? It's been, we've had a break. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so, they were very interested mm. in hearing this new arena um, mm. of this industry and more hearing more about Jaime Madre, hearing more about what's going on in Albany because they too have been hearing what's on the news and it's kind of misleading. Mm-hmm. Like everybody we've talked to also, it's like, oh, it's over. We heard he's not going to even do it. Well, no, that's not true. Like people don't know that the Senate and the Assembly conference and that they're like, they know how important it is to get this done, and so they're ready to get it done, and then that's why I believe the governor came. And so, like, you're hearing one thing in the news, but really there's mm-hmm. discussions going on in Albany, and if you're, if you're not there or part of the coalition, right. you won't know that. You'll just get fake news. <laughs> and something that's interesting to note is that, like, Chicago didn't have a bill in December when we had a bill. So we had a potential bill introduced in December, both the Mar- Marta and the Cartel. By Chicago, you mean the state of Illinois. Yeah, the state of yeah. Illinois. Um, and they've already legalized. Right. Just legalized. What, two weeks ago? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Just so possible. we can yeah. get it done. I'm going to be oh, paying hola. close attention to my email tonight. Right. Absolutely. <coughs> well, do you, uh, you all have anything else to say to wrap up? Any final message for... Uh, I think the final big messages are call your elected officials, yeah. call Andrea Stewart Cousins, call Carl Hasty, call right, the governor's You've got to identify these people. Who are these yeah. people you so just mentioned? Carl Hasty <clears throat> is the speaker of the assembly. Andrea Stewart Cousins is the leader, majority leader of the Senate, and the governor Cuomo is your governor. And so right now, Stewart and Hasty. They're all in a room right now, so let's just think of it like this. We got the Assembly, we got the Senate in the room, and the leaders for each chamber, each house. Then we got the governor. So we got the people who have put this bill up, so people, Crystal People Strokes and Liz Kluger. They're all in this room now negotiating. So we want those people, Carl Hasty, um, Andrea Stewart-Cousins, Liz Kluger, all to hold the line. They've said that they... We're going that they were going to do what's right for the communities. We want that reinvestment. We want that equity, and we want that reparative justice. Mm-hmm. So hold that line, like 
we know Governor Cuomo is probably in there scratching out or doing right, with whatever his, with he's his red doing, pen excising doing, but we want to ensure which is good in the legislation that yeah. he keeps these things in the bill and so we want to ask people to we're encouraging people one if you can come out to albany if you can drive out to albany or if you live near albany go out to the capitol all right but when because we're right down to the line every day here, right? this week every day this week the goal is to be there every day this week emily more than likely is going to be so there tuesday and wednesday yeah yeah so monday tuesday wednesday because again it all also depends what happens tonight it could go past Wednesday. The legislative season could go past Wednesday. So we may be there till Friday or we may be there till next week. But as of right now, it's till Wednesday. So if people can get to Albany tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, please come out to Albany. We know it's hard. People can't take off of work. Call the elected officials and make sure they pass MARTA. MARTA. We would just want to stress that to the governor. Equity MRTA, Marijuana Regulation and Taxation Act. Act. Yeah, we can't forget that. And Drug Policy Alliance will be providing transportation to Albany on Tuesday and Wednesday for anyone who's interested in going up. Y'all can feel free to send us an email at jaimimadre at gmail.com, H-I-G-H-M-I-M-A-D-R-E um, at gmail.com. If you're interested in coming out to Albany, just send us a quick email and we'll get in contact with you. Yeah. Um, but again, just call the elected officials, social media, follow us on social media, mm-hmm. Jaime Madre, because that way you could also repost what we're posting We've created some tweets. We created some um, graphic designs. Um, the co- when I say we, the coalition, um, and so we just want to put that pressure the same way the the housing justice for all put that pressure yep. on the governor. We want to do the same thing. Right, we here. just made some advances for uh, tenants' rights in New York State, and hopefully, we're going to make some advances for cannabis in okay. the days and hours to come. Yeah, and then yeah, we'll 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 send you an email if we know more in the next couple of hours. Because again, if nothing is signed tonight or printed tonight then well hopefully we can uh, get this uh, it's up to uh, Chris Rywalt our uh, technical producer to get this up uh, online in time to uh, actually still uh, have some impact if we're right down here to the uh, right down here to the deadline up in Albany yeah because we hear they're right now up there discussing so even if you can call right now feel free to call Albany um, I don't know all their numbers by heart, but I do know Governor Cuomo's oh, um, yeah. Albany number by heart. Lay it on us. Heart. Lay it on us. It please. is 518-474-8390. Say, and that, if you, say that again, Pilar. 518-474-8390. That's Governor Cuomo. And if you call during, I believe it's 9 to 5, you just have to press number 2 to talk to a person. But if you're calling after five, but then again, I don't know, it's usually number one. Um, and to and call. You, and you want to tell that person what? You want to tell them to make sure we get MARTA passed this year. The mm-hmm. communities cannot wait. Mm-hmm. We don't want. So this is my personal quote. I don't want to wait for Governor Cuomo to use this as a campaign hook next year. Mm-hmm. I want this passed this year. My communities and my people in jail and people who have been criminalized cannot wait. Another person that's really important to call is the Senate leader, Andrea Stewart-Cousins, and her number is 518-455-2585. Again, I don't know one or two, just leave a message. There's also, I think this is the one that has a nice lady that takes a message. There's a lovely lady who actually picks up the phone and she takes your message, like, word for word. 
Um, another important person is to call the assembly speaker, Carl Hasty, <coughs> and his number is 518-455-3791. And again, you want to tell them that you support marijuana justice for New York State and the MARTA bill, which is the Marijuana Regula Regulation Taxation Act bill. The bill number is in the Senate, 1527. In the assembly, B. with a B, excuse me, 1527B. In the assembly, it is 1617. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when you leave a message or you call, you could just say, I'm supporting Marta, and you could provide those, that bill. Mm -hmm. Just tell them you're a constituent. Some people are like, oh, do I have to leave my real name? If you can. If you don't want to, hey, but if you're a constituent and this means you're, if this is important to you as it is to us, please just put that pressure on the governor and the, the leaders to lead us. This is their time to lead, to hold the line, and to pass Marta this year. And all the votes get tallied up, so each, each call counts. So please call every day. Yeah, every day until Wednesday, mm -hmm. June 19th. Okay. Well, uh, Emily Pilar and Kara of Jaime Madre, thank you so much for joining us on the Counter Vortex. And uh, hopefully the next time uh, we get you on to uh, talk about your endeavors, we'll have legal cannabis in New York State. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. you can do this podcast with the blunts. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe outside. <laughs> thank you for having okay, me. Sure thank thing. you so yeah. much. Yep, yeah, it was great. It was fun. Okay. Awesome.